The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. Are you making the most of your KiwiSaver investment? Generate is an award-winning KiwiSaver provider with a track record of strong long-term performance. Making a smart decision now could add tens of thousands of dollars by the time you reach retirement. Book a no-obligation chat with a Generate KiwiSaver advisor today at generatekiwisaver.co.nz slash advice. A copy of the product disclosure statement is available at generatekiwisaver.co.nz. The issuer of the scheme is Generate Investment Management Limited and of course past performance does not guarantee future returns. Kelatato and welcome to Gone by Lunchtime, the spin-offs politics podcast. Hot dives, deep takes, and uh, we're all in Halloween costume today. Annabelle Lee, how are you? I'm very well, Toby. Kate here, queer. Kate pai. Ben, Kate queer. Ben Thomas, Excelsium. Hello. You good? Yeah, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. My today is a bit rusty. Um, my name is Toby Manhar. I should have mentioned. Um, Annabelle Lee is from The Hui, which is on TV3 on Sundays at... 9.30. Um, and reeling in towards uh, Christmas. When's your last episode? December 3. December 3. I think it's the same as The Nation. Mm-hmm. That's when they have their breakfast champagne thing. Are you going to yes. go along to that? Uh, possibly. Uh, <clears throat> ben Thomas, how's uh, the world of political public relations? It's it's good, you know, tell, telling the truth well. And good, good things for the people of New Zealand. You seem a little bit subdued today. You don't seem quite your normal. You, know, you seem a little. It's the is, is uh, everything all right. It's 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 the spin-off stairs. You guys are up three stories. Yeah. I'm I'm sort of I'm usually kind of gasping for breath, and you know today I decided to conserve my energy. I sort of took about sort of five or six minutes getting up and mm. stopped for breathers. So. I stop on the second floor and just try and regain an air of like. Yeah. To composure. Yeah, I sometimes do. And then too. make my last charge. And then do the last flight but two stairs work. at a time. Hey, everyone, yeah. here I am. Yeah. Fit as a fiddle. Speaking you, you guys need to get rid of all of your sort of millennial Swiss balls and arcade machines and fire poles and just get a lift. Um, Toe took all that. Can we talk about Saudi sheep very briefly? We've been um, uh, cruelly, the gods have thrust the Saudi sheep report into what went down with that agri-hub in Saudi Arabia. Um, the gods have decided to publish that Auditor General inquiry immediately after we finish this podcast. <laughs> so we're slightly kind of um, running uh, in the dark here. But essentially, Ben Thomas, uh, the question will immediately be, once the, the Auditor General reports is published as whether or not Murray McCulley can survive. Yeah, and look, obviously we don't know what's in the report yet. If I had to make a guess from this position, I'd say McCulley will go. It won't be linked to the report. Uh, But a few weeks ago, the Prime Minister, in his role as political pundit, 
thinking man on the street uh, guessed casually that he he expected there might be a couple of resignations mm. from cabinet mm. before the next election. Mm. Um, very presciently, as it turned out, then Hekia Parata uh, offered her resignation of her own free will, a mere days afterwards, um, and that leaves one one more for the prime minister. If um, McCulley were to go, though, for him, it, it's pretty hard to make it seem as though it's not related to this report now, isn't it? I mean. Oh, look, yeah, exactly. But um, you can always say, you know, things have come up. You've decided on new priorities in your life. and uh... He has been in Parliament since, like, dinosaurs were roaming the earth, to be fair. So yes. you would expect that he can't go on indefinitely. That's true. What are your tea leaves telling you? Um, I, I personally would be surprised if, if he'd go just because he's such a power broker with the national, or at least used to be. Yeah, one of the things they say is that he knows where the bodies are buried, that he's this sort of Machiavellian force. Um, truth? True? It's Look, it's a really puzzling assertion that people make. You know, when you say, you know, he knows all the secrets. Well, if he knows them, someone else must know them. But nobody ever gets a kind of sniff of what the particular secrets are that he knows. Mm. Um, you know, we're into deep sort of <laughs> unknown, unknown territory. Um, I, I think a lot of that is a bit overblown. I think he, you know, he, he's good at getting close to leaders um, and he's apparently a good strategist during campaigns. But um, I think the sort of mafioso kind of reputation is, is a little overplayed, as, as, as most people in politics try and overplay their reputations in that way. It's been a long time since I've read Hollow Men, but there's sort of that kind of stuff going down in there, isn't it? Isn't there? Like he takes care of sort of dirty work that others might not like to do. That's, I guess that's sort of the stereotype. I mean, it's difficult to know. It's, it's how, always hard to much. tell with uh, Nikki Hager books because they're sort of reported with such breathless wonderment and shock. You know, there was one chapter with McCulley oh, where McCulley wrote, wrote some lines, you know, about what the leader should say on a TV interview if asked about a particular topic. And Hager affected this kind of disbelief and awe that, you know, they might not just make up their answers on the spot, you know, after deep consideration following the interviewer's question. So, you know, I, I think all of this kind of shadowy, shadowy figure, background power broker stuff, it's always in everyone's interests to kind of promote themselves in that way. But I'm not too mm -hmm. sure how much reality there is behind it. What um, will he do afterwards, do you think? Will he, he become the Minister of, like, Trade and the Middle East or something? Maybe get a the, get a special special envoy role for agri-hub-based yes. diplomacy. Retire to a sheep farm on the South Island. Um, uh, we should say, I suppose, that the, the, the one of the questions that the Auditor-General is looking into, which you probably will have read about by the time you listen to this, is uh, whether or not the... Cash payment, among other things, including flying sheep that was um, provided to Al-Halaf was really required or not because McCulley had argued mm. that there was a legal threat and there doesn't seem to have been much paperwork. So we'll find out. We'll find out. Or you've probably already well, found out and you're sitting there smiling and thinking, these guys had no idea what was going to be in there. They had no clue. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> you, you you mentioned uh, the departure of Hekia Parada. We had two kind of high-profile exits or announced exits in the last fortnight, the first being Hekia Parada, the second being David Cunliffe. Should we start with Hekia Parada, Annabelle? What do you think her legacy is? Um, I mean, obviously there were a few snafus in there and a few backtracks and quite a lot of waffling. But at the same time, 
as a senior minister in the very, very tricky portfolio of education, can she hold her head high? I guess she was always on a, a hiding to nothing with that portfolio. It is tricky, and it, you know, particularly when it comes to um, the education system failing Māori, it's never going to be easier to turn around. And then when you're trying to sell ideas like bigger classrooms and um, bulk funding, mm. you're never going to be popular. What I found interesting, though, was when I shared the article on our Hui Facebook page, the vitriol, oh. um, the vitriolic response we got, like 90%, probably more than that, of people are still really scathing and angry um, towards Hekia. And it reminded me of, and Mikey Sherman mentioned it the other day, at the Matatini National Kapahaka Competitions in 2011 when she got up to present an award yeah. and was like, really loudly booed, which was sort of unprecedented at the time for Māori to be so openly hostile towards an MP. And I think in terms of the way she's perceived in Māori, the way she allowed herself to be the front person for the Rokumara stuff hurt her within the mm. Māori community. But I think, you know, she's shown that she's she's a smart woman, she's articulate, she... Um, she has a lot of money, and I'm sure the people of the East Coast will be very happy to get her home. Yeah. And she'll go. She'll continue to make a contribution somehow. I mean, I saw her once. I went to um, uh, the, the transit of Venus stuff that happened in Tolaga Bay and around there, and seeing her in her element on the Marion stuff, it's it's she's an sort of quite charismatic figure in a way there. She's very charismatic, and, you know, she's very loved within her her community and admired and she comes from a, a family who have a, a lot of mana and, and I, I think it can be easier, easy for outsiders not to understand that legacy that comes with her. Ben, you sort of hinted, joked, intimated before that she may have been shuffled out the door rather than going on her, of her own accord, but it seems as, seems as though it's a legit departure uh, that she's determined, you don't think so? I absolutely think it's legitimate. Um, you know, if if, the, if, you, if you get the idea that your time is up, your time is up. Mm. Um, I think, you know, she, she early on in her time as a minister, it looked as though her sort of lasting legacy might just be rehabilitating the image of Anne Tolley as education <laughs> minister. Um, but since then, uh, particularly in her... Uh, Second term as education minister, she's really, um, she really kind of clamped down, um, performed much better. None of those sort of embarrassing gaffes, um, you know, getting all of the school principals in Christchurch into a hall and giving them differently coloured stickers and saying everyone mm. with the green stickers, your schools are remaining open, <laughs> you know. Um, but but she got a much tighter rein on the portfolio after that, um, and she's she's performed well. I do admire Hekia for fronting up. Um, she is a minister who fronts up on issues. You know, she always fronted up on the Kohanga stuff. Mm, mm. Um, she's the only national cabinet minister to front up on our program this year. So I do admire that about her, that she's prepared to walk her talk. The other um, major figure that uh, is away is David Cunliffe, who... Um Who's got, a, again, a kind of mixed record. I, I, I wrote something uh, for the spin-off yesterday about him on the memories that sprung to mind, and mostly they were, I felt a bit mean writing it, so, you know, felt a yeah. bit 
a bit grave dancing and I got upbraided on Facebook and that's the way it goes and that's fine. But the things that stick in the memory are the cooed slash non-coo, the, you know, um, slightly over-the-top speeches, the the apology for being a man. Ben, is that fair? Mm. I mean, he also achieved quite a, some good stuff, you know, when he was telecoms yep. minister, for example. What, what's your take on Yeah, it? look, his enduring legacy will be his work as um, communications minister. He led the way to the unbundling of the retail side and the network side of telecom. Yeah. So prior to that, telecom had this huge advantage, this monopoly, um, because it owned all the lines that, you know, were internet provision um, you know, went through, and 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 they were also an ISP, and this gave them a huge competitive advantage because when you're all squashed together, you can kind of hide the costs, and effectively, and everyone ends up subsidising your retail arm. Um, everyone else that needs to use those lines, like other internet service providers, mm-hmm. he actually went really went out on a limb um, and got huge plaudits from the business community um, back in the. Um, in the late 2000s um, by by insisting that telecoms separate those two functions. Um, you know, he was attacked by National at the time, you know, that it was sort of communism by stealth, that sort of thing, a, a huge, you know, um, an attack on the free market, um, that kind of thing. But it's actually, it's had huge benefits and it was formalised um, when the ultra-fast broadband um, scheme was unveiled by the actual formal separation of Chorus and what's now Spark Telecom. Mm, mm. That said, <laughs> I think Cunliffe, unfortunately, uh, it's his his memory sort of sp- it brings to mind um, an amazing article that John Ronson, the journalist, did a profile of insane clown posse. Yes, where he raised the question of what happens when you're a creative and passionate person who bears your soul to the world, but the majority of people find it ridiculous, and and that was really Cunliffe. Um, he he sort of he could never kind of rein in or control his impulses when he was dealing with people and it was really unfortunate because i think he's actually a very authentic person mm. he always gets slammed for being inauthentic or fake and it's not true you know he is a guy who really cares who really wants to make a difference and just can't convince the outside world of that yeah he never came, he never struck me as a bullshit artist particularly on the occasions when i spoke to him um, he seems really sort of straightforward, decent person, but he didn't win the trust of his cabinet, uh, sorry, caucus colleagues, did he? Annabelle? He just had a bit of a dorky streak, didn't he? That kind of the media loved to seize upon, like the whole "I'm sorry, I'm a man," all of that sort of stuff. But I, I feel like he's a guy that had a lot to offer, and if the Labour Party wasn't such a bag of snakes that loves to rip each other apart, then. Mm. You know, he he could have made quite a good contribution, I think. I feel sorry for David Cunliffe, actually. It's actually a really good point. Um, In Labour, you've got guys like David Cunliffe and I think Charles Chevelle was another one and Stuart Nash now in their caucus is another one. Mm. These are guys who have got experience in the private sector and an understanding of of business and the economy that – really their colleagues don't have, and this does actually mark them out with special skills within a Labour caucus. Now, unfortunately, all of these guys know that, and they're very, they find it very difficult, they've always found it very difficult to disguise the fact that they have that skill set that their colleagues don't have, and this does lead, lead to a bit of resentment. Um, you know, we... Uh, you know, and 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 these guys have always had a tough time in that caucus. You know, which is dominated by unionists, teachers, public sector, uh, people like that. Um, and there, I mean, all of this is for both sides a kind of regeneration exercise as well. 
mean, Tamati Coffey is someone who's emerged now being selected um, as Labour's candidate in what's... Waiariki. Waiariki. Um, there's the name escapes me, the woman who was in Uharu last time has been selected in Hutt South. Jenny uh, Anderson. Seat, that's right. There, um, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Labour, I guess, particularly, but they really struggled with what the UK political watch is called bed blocking, you know, where there are mm. the, the, the metaphor being people um, in, in hospital wards who are basically just sort of shift moved in. Mm. Um, and by freeing up a few of these positions, they could do with a few more. Does it does it mean does anyone have a view on whether or not Labour will be better placed to um, go into the election next year, looking a bit fresher? It really depends on the candidates that they can recruit uh, to replace these guys. Um, they didn't have a great candidate intake last time. Um, one thing that will play a part is the so-called man ban. Um, they'll need, you know, their their policy now is to have fifty uh, percent women mm -hmm. in in winnable seats. So that means you're very likely to see a woman selected in New Lynn to replace David Cunliffe. Um, that. I mean that can only be a good thing if they if they widen the sort of range of people they're looking at. Um, but the pro, you know, if Labour are seen to be heading for a defeat, um, to not be getting a lot of new MPs, they might have a, um, a tough time attracting talent. It's hard to look fresh when you've got Annette King as your number two, isn't it? I mean, for goodness' sake, really. Um, you mentioned Annabelle that Hickey Parata is one of the the only. Minister who's come on the hui this this year. The only national minister yeah. we've had the Ururua uh -huh. as well. Okay, um, and the, I'm I'm you've asked Paula Bennett on a few times, as I recall. Several times, yep. Twenty weeks we've been waiting for Paula to front up. Did you try? She calling can do her, the cafe did on you, TV three <laughs> yes, and can. numerous other um, well, she, programs she, of consequence. But did, did not you us. did you give her a call on the day that she was acting prime minister? I didn't. I should so maybe have. Maybe you should have hit. Well, she was feeling. She was. She was enjoying herself, wasn't she? As Paula Bennett, there were who's number five, I think, fifth yeah, ranked in the cabinet, fifth. and those above her being. John Key, Jerry Brownie, Stephen Joyce, and Bill English, who I, I, I believe is the Deputy Prime Minister indeed, were all in Australia or somewhere else around the world. And so she had a day on the job um, and she was busy in uh, taking newspaper article requests to appear. <laughs> um, did, do you think, Annabelle, she's a future Prime Minister? No. I don't because I think, you know, the mark of a prime minister is leadership and if you can't front up and have serious interviews about the things that are happening in your portfolio, then you're probably not qualified to be a, to, to are lead, you willing to lead to, the Are you country. willing to, to, to review that opinion if she comes on your show next week? Absolutely. <laughs> I will vote for her myself. Um, yeah, Paul, I'm sure you're listening. I do, I do think that she lacks a bit of depth there and that you can only play the cutesy-bootsy, you know, um, West Auckland, Cheryl West type figure she's, for so long. She's turned that down a bit though, hasn't she? Yeah. Man, she's, I mean, you know. Really good piece by Isaac Davison of The Herald. Oh, yeah. Um, about a profile of Paula um, in part assessing her legacy as Prime Minister, but also... Um, <laughs> But also, also looking at her her rise sort of over the last few years, and what that isolated was that she doesn't have a lot of supporters in cabinet or actually in the caucus. 
Um, she's That's very, right. She's, 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 she doesn't have a tribe in there, faction she, or anything. She doesn't, yeah, and she's been very successful. She was an excellent minister of um, social development because she's such a, an excellent communicator. Um, she still, she has. Is that as in communicating people's private information to the media? Yeah, well that sort of communicating. Yeah, that's right. I had actually mm-hmm. hoped there might be a lot, uh, you know, a real lift in transparency and OIA sort of responses <laughs> under under Paul, or at least a heads up from her press secretaries about who was facing charges. Um, but <laughs> I, uh, but but at the same time, you know, so she's gotten to number five, and that's been on the back of strong performances. But at the same time, it's it's because of patronage. It's from the Prime Minister. Not undeserved patronage, but it, but it's not because she's got a significant support block. And that's what you need. You know, there's no point being John Key's favourite after John Key leaves. Or you could turn it, turn it on its head and say it could be a strength and that you don't you can you could come through in a leadership battle without um being seen as necessarily aligned with any part of the party. Yeah, that's interesting. And you hear other people mentioned like that, uh, Amy Adams, um, mm. sometimes comes up in those sorts of discussions mm. as a kind of non-aligned actor who could be a leadership option. Um, I mean, the question that has been said before is whether or not the, the manner in which uh, a vacancy occurs, because if it seemed to be that John Key uh, has lost favour, which is the normal route by which most most leaders and prime ministers uh, fall out of favour, if, if he's if he if he's seen to have lost lost his mojo or whatever, then it will be because it will suddenly be re- rewritten as because he's too neutral, lacking vision, lacking an ideological backbone. And that's where someone like Judith Collins is well-placed, right, who's mm. now re-established yeah. herself. What do you reckon, Annabelle? Yeah. What do you reckon? Who's yeah. who's the next Who's the next national leader? Joyce would be Joyce, my pick. Stephen Joyce. Next, next national leader or next national prime minister? Ooh. Next national leader, I think, doesn't actually matter so much. Mm. Um, yeah, for for the reasons you we outlined. could have a care, we could have a caretaker Bill English. So who was who's but, your pick though? We're, for both, it, it's really hard to say. Again, I think it, it comes down to the circumstances, and and it's it's impossible to tell at this sort of stage. You know, the the the, the, the he's worked out. Look, look, the, the contenders, the contenders we know, yeah, no, no. Judith Collins. Um, Perhaps Simon Bridges um, again, a- Amy Adams, but but if it was a kind of caretaker thing, you know, if it was a year till an election, you know, it probably would be Bill English or Stephen Joyce. Do, have you noticed that Simon Bridges is channeling? Is it Justin Trudeau? Justin Trudeau, yeah. Have doing, you have yeah, you seen yeah, that? Yeah, have yeah. you noticed that? Yeah, he's been having photos taken in windswept locations. With like windswept here, he's doing pretty well. I mean, I like he's doing in, in terms of that. That kind of modernising branch of the National Party, he's really well-placed. I don't know whether or not he's got the gravitas. Mm. How do you get gravitas? Um, Mount Roskill. Uh, for what it's worth, I think Murray McCulley will be the next Prime Minister. Mount <laughs> Roskill um, is now... The, the writs have been issued by the Governor-General. Um uh, December the 3rd, I think. Yes. December the 3rd, the, um, final, the final day of the hui. And the Labour, the, fi- the final day of the hui, there mm. we go. The um, the Labour Party announced, by happy coincidence, plans that for a light, to, to accelerate plans for a light railway linking Mount Roskill with, I think, Wynyard Quarter. And immediately... There was a cry of pork barrel, bribes, blah, blah, blah. Fair? By, by Stephen Joyce, oddly enough, the uh, 
the campaign manager of the Northland by-election Bridge, last bridges year. Of, who, bridges of Woodstone who, County. Who, yeah, who managed, managed to find money for 10 new bridges um, in that electorate. So I think it's a bit rich. Um, well, bridges come a fair, <laughs> fair whack cheaper than a... What a one point whatever billion light railway. Yeah, I don't think the difference is one of magnitude. I think it's actually one of kind. The Labour promise is one that they will actually have to win an election to give effect to. The National Party bridge bribe last year was something where they pretended that the ordinary, you know, ordinary business of government was going on when in fact they were trying to bribe a by-election. So you know, the minute the minister has these kind of independent um, NZTA goals for spending, you know, on roading. And then they made this announcement with whoever that National Party candidate was mm. for Northland standing next to, you know, mm. the minister. And it, it was all a bit sort of blurred separation of powers, not not particularly kosher, whereas uh, promising something during an, an election campaign, sure, that's a bribe, but it's, it's the sort of acceptable kind of bribe that wins elections. It's the same as tax cuts. And, um, and it ignores the fact that, you know, Michael Wood winning Mount Roskill, as he almost certainly will, uh, won't actually bring about any light rail. Um, you know, Labour will actually have to get into government for that. My friend Rowani Pereira lives in Mount Rosco in the Mount Roskill electorate on the <clears throat> flash side, Hillsborough, and she swears that it's going to be a very, very close electorate. Interesting. And that people will be voting for not necessarily the candidate, but for John Key. Well, they. I mean, I think we said this in the last po podcast that National won the party vote in the, mm. in the seat last they time. Did, I, think yeah. they, I think I read somewhere as well um, that they won the party vote in Newland, which is kind of kind, yeah, kind yep. of even more amazing. Well, Tim, Tim Grosser, amazing. nothing beats boots on the ground. <laughs> Tim Grosser, the, the now a constant presence in Newland. <laughs> and as I think we were discussing yesterday on the social networks, Ben, um, remains just as devoted to the constituency of Newland today from Washington as he did when he was <laughs> busy door knocking on the electorate. What were we talking about? Um, uh, you, yeah, could be closer, Annabelle, could be. I mean, I, I kind of... Um, it's, I do think that they should shut the Labour Party down if they can't can hold the seat. Well, in all seriousness, will Little, do you think, will he be forced to resign or... Pushed, to, pushed off the cliff if they lose Mount Roskill? Oh, yeah, look, that would be panic stations. That would be, um, that would be well, it would be unprecedented. Uh, no sitting government has ever won a seat that it didn't already hold. Um, Michael Wood's a good candidate. Um, you know, I, th I think that, I think after the light rail announcement, um, Palmjeet Palmer was asked um, what, what her thoughts were on it. This is the national candidate. Mm. And she said, no, there should be more money spent on bus stops. Um, which you'll you'll recognise as is a sort of bastardisation of what the prime minister had said that he thought buses could probably carry the overflow. Yeah. So she hasn't quite got her lines down right from head office, and that's going to become that's going to get a more important. You know, when they start having debates with you know, when, once the galleries start flying up and sort of tailing these people all around the suburbs of Roskill. Yeah. Seemingly, nor has Goff. No, well, that was an interesting <clears> thing with Goff, isn't it? And that, that, that he immediately rebuffed the... Well, he immediately said, great, but we're not paying for it. Central government can pay for it. How annoyed would you be if you were Andrew Little? Like, thanks, Phil. I yeah, that's, yeah. That's he tried actually... to cover nicely for him on Radio New Zealand and did the, oh, you know, that's what the mayor of Auckland would say. But still, well, bro. Except that, except, I mean, I mean the, the, the argument is, isn't it, that NZTA should be paying for it? I mean, in similar way that yeah. they, 
roads of national significance being the look. It wouldn't be analog. a very good election bribe if the government wasn't planning on paying for it. You know, if the, if the government was just promising that they would somehow browbeat Phil Goff into something. Um, but look, Goff campaigned on uh, getting light rail into those suburbs. Um, he's Now he's talking about uh, rail to the airport. Um, there's actually a lot of quite big infrastructure spends that uh, Goff was curiously silent about when he was writing at 50% on the polls, um, heading towards the mayoralty that he's now sort of bringing to light. Um, you know, all of these things are going to have to be partnerships between government and local count, uh, local council. Yeah, and there's no yeah. question about that. I, I don't think there's any sort of real, you know, smack down or slap in the face from Goff on that. Uh, I think that was a bit mischievously reported. Um, speaking of mischief, the seven five seven Boeing aeroplane Key Force One ended up in Townsville for a day in a week in which there was very little political news. <laughs> Um, was that an embarrassment? Do you guys feel like that was one of those kind of, uh, you know, Banana Republic moments? Well, you know, I mean, again, I hate to harp on about it, but, you know, in recent months we've been at the United Nations telling everyone to just sort of sort out the Middle East, you know, get, get Syria under control. Um, and I just sort of imagine, you know, John, John Key in Townsville sort of texting, like, we're on our way. <laughs> we're, we're, we're coming. We're coming to save the known world. We just need some parts flowing in, you know, preferably on a plane that isn't part of the New Zealand Air Force. Um, you know, look, of course, it's, it's ridiculous. They, I mean, all the business leaders who were on the plane... Um, got there a day late for all of their business meetings, which, and they were, which were cancelled. They completely missed the Mumbai part of the trip, which is the main business mm. centre, right? It's embarrassing to us. I don't know if the rest of the world would care very much. I did note, um, speaking of Justin Trudeau, that his plane, which was born for Belgium, had to turn around because it had a mechanical difficulty, which shows you that perhaps Key and Trudeau uh, closer, than basically, you basically mm. twins, mm. pretty much. The yeah, brother, different mother kind of thing. That's a fascinating story. What was going on with Wallonia? Did you get into the Wallonia stuff? Anyone holding out on the on the EU Canada trade deal? Uh, anyone want to? No one wants to talk. No one wants to talk about Wallonia. Um, you, <laughs> <laughs> the Hui has done very little on Wallonia lately. Nothing. I feel ashamed. But it has done some excellent work on the Nipata brothers, which is also, I think, on, on Native Affairs going back in the, their claims for compensation. Mm. Tell us about that story. So in 1989, um, George Nipata was dropped during a training incident on his head and became a tetraplegic. Yeah. And five days later, while Where was still that? in hospital, that was in uh, I think it was in Singapore, Singapore? Yeah. they used his thumbprint to discharge him. He was never given any um, compensation or an apology. And then five years later, his younger brother, Damien, um, was horrifically burnt in a scorpion tank accident. It later turned out that they really shouldn't have been using scorpion tanks anyway mm. in Wyodu because they're reconnaissance vehicles that are designed for sort of zipping around quickly in the desert, not, you know, to be used as a four-wheel drive in the wop-wops of Wyodu. And he too never received an apology or compensation and uh, it's been before two select committees, um, Labor turned it down in the early 2000s. 
and then um, national, we, we sort of started a bit of a campaign when I was on Native Affairs and got the Māori Affairs Select Committee to mm. agree to have another inquiry into it. They recommended then that um, the brothers should get compensation and it was turned down by Woodhouse, was it? Is that right? Whoever was the Minister of Veteran Affairs at the time. And so now they are a part of a claim before the Waitangi Tribunal, Māori Vets. Yeah. And they gave um, compelling and heart-wrenching evidence last week before the tribunal. And hopefully they may get an apology or something that way. Although it would be pretty meaningless this many years later to to finally be offered an apology when it's been forced... The you tribunal know. don't have can't compel the government to pay compensation though. No, they can. They can, they can make a recommendation. Yeah. Yeah. Would it be a? I mean, would it be the kind of recommendation that would have the force? You know, a moral force. I mean, obviously there's a moral force, but you know, would it, I'm trying. I'm trying to think whether or not there's any precedent for that because the, the government has ignored Wangtangi tribunal recommendations before. Yeah, look, it depends how broad it is. Um, a lot of the historical reports will come out with recommendations, you know, that um, ownership of new petroleum in New Zealand waters is uh, returned to Māori, and that was that has not been acted on. Mm. Um, it, it, it depends how granular they get, how how sort of how achievable, essentially, I think, in a lot of cases. Um, you know, the, the government will always consider these things carefully and, and try and, and try and do something that's, you know, at least in line with redressing any breaches that have been found, whether it's exactly the same or not. Um, you know, sometimes they'll, they'll conclude that, uh, you know, alternative action has already been taken, which sort of, you know, kind of substitutes for it. Ben, quickly, Sir Jerry Matapurai's coat of arms had you in a, a whirl of excitement to the extent that you wrote a piece for the um, popular website, the spinoff.co.nz. Yeah, probably the most beautiful thing that I've ever seen. Um, Governor Gen- Governors General of New Zealand are entitled nice, to... A- nice use of the Governors General. Th- did thank you. you- <laughs> like, for the Governors General, did you... How did you... Did you Google that? Like, plural for Governor General? Because most of us say Governor yeah. Generals. So yeah. how did you know that it's Governors General? I, I, did, not go- I, did, I did Google both are correct. So cool. One, oh, both, one the, both are correct. It but, really is annoying to me when people say referenda. That to me is a sign of someone who's trying a bit too hard. I'm good with Governors General, that's fine, but don't say referenda for Say referendums. Oh, really? Yeah, oh, I love Governors General. No, I'm, I'm just, cool I'm just totally in awe. It knocked like my socks off and over that. with referendum. I, f- I feel that when you're dealing with the Governor General, you, you should really have as many kind of frills and yes. moving parts yes. and yes. as much pageantry as possible. Yes. I think Sir Jerry, you know, they don't have much in their lives, Governors General. They spend mm. most of their time sort of sitting on a stage, mm. listening to people introduce them, or you know the speeches that come after yes. them. It's mm. it's 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 really a sort of gilded cage kind of situation. Mm. Um, a, a butterfly under glass, our Sir Jerry. Um, and at the end of it, part of the payoff they get is they get a coat of arms. Um, and, and traditionally, you know, this is sort of, you know, griffins and dragons and some sort of Latinate high school slogan, um, whereas Sir Jerry's is a picture of him and his wife holding their family <laughs> cat boots. I, um, I also <laughs> like the giant fantail looming above them like a great hawk yeah. that's, like, bigger than all of them that could, like, lift them and tear them limb from limb. And I also <laughs> like that he has on, like, 
If the crocodile hunter had a number one's uniform for like formal occasions, yeah. that's what that's what Jerry's wearing in the coat of arms. <laughs> it is pretty great. It is pretty great. It's, it's, pretty it's, cool. it's, it's very New Zealand. It's a very New Zealand coat of arms, mm. and, it, and it really sort of sums up Sir Jerry, who was, who was a very good Governor General. I just wish there was like an open packet of fish and chips. <laughs> at, at, at their feet. Power, power shell ashtray. Yeah. <laughs> That'd be beautiful. Um, uh, uh, we're going to wind it up because Ben particularly is almost dragging himself out the door to go and read that uh, Auditor General report on Saudi sheep. Wait, um, you had one more important question well, before to we ask go, us. Before we go, something, uh, does, uh, has anyone got, I'm interested to hear your views on the controversy surrounding Max Key. That's gone by lunchtime. I'm Toby Manhai. Thanks, Annabelle Lee. Ben Thomas and Madeline Chapman for producing. See you next time. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. Kia ora e te iwi, Kiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spin-Off. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a Spin-Off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.